You open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Let's pray. Father, as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians, we ask, Lord, that you would give to us a very strong desire that, Lord, that we would want your word to affect our lives. That we would want our lives to be changed by your word. The Father, we would desire our lives to be evaluated by the standard of the word. The Father, that we would embrace all the truth that the word gives to us. The Father, that we may become what you would have us to become. The Father, we may emulate Christ in every way, that we may become like Christ, that we may think like he does, that we, we may live our life like he has. The Father, we may respond to others and events and circumstances the same way that he has. Knowing, Lord, that if we do this, it will bring honor to your name. And also, Lord, it will bring to us a great deal of satisfaction and contentment in life. That our joy in life would deepen. So, Father, as always, we thank you for your word and for your presence. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 6. Verses 1 through 4, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. We started this a long time ago. Uh, Tim uh, interrupted everything with a uh, uh, series on unity. Um, so we had to put up with that. No. <laughs> no, he did a good job. In fact, you can get all those together on the CD in the back if you want. So you can listen to them all at once. Uh, but anyway, um, so we'll do a, a little bit of a review. But let me just kind of set the stage for you to kind of help us grasp this in general. Because sometimes we can do this as believers. And that is we kind of assume that the target of the passage has nothing to do with us. So you may be thinking, well, my kids are grown. It's got nothing to do with me. Uh, And that would be untrue. Uh, There's many things here that it's important for us to grasp and to understand as there's more going on here than just instruction uh, in the word as to how we should be raising our children, though that is there. Number one, we do live in a psychologized age, and there are many individuals who are trying to figure themselves out. Um, trying to figure out why they are the way they are, trying to figure out why they're having maybe the difficulties that they're having or why they're experiencing the loneliness that they're having or why they're experiencing a sense of dissatisfaction with life. And the list can go on and on. Uh, Sometimes individuals are trying to figure out why they have certain habits, why they have certain quirks uh, in the way they live, um, why they think the way they think. So there's been this argument for a real long time uh, in psychology, and that is that when it comes to human behavior, is it the result of nature or nurture? And, of course, the idea with that is that uh, if it's nature, that means that it's innate. It's kind of like you're born with that. Um, And in one sense, it truly can't be helped. We might be able to address it, but there's going to be some root problems with that because it's a part of who you are as a person. The other group says, nope, it's not that. Uh, It has everything to do with your environment. In fact, some would even go so far to say that children, when they're born, because they're children, obviously, that that they're like a blank slate, that they're truly neutral. And... They then absorb the environment around them, and they then mimic what they learn, 
and that's why people have the problems they have. Well, I believe that the Bible makes it pretty clear that it's actually both. Uh, number one, uh, it is nature because we're all born with a natural bent to do wrong. Uh, we all have, uh, all, we've all born, all born with a sin nature. Then on top of that, uh, we are being raised by adults who have a sin nature, uh, who have their own issues and difficulties. And so that's passed down to us. Um, I guess you could even say in one sense genetically, though that's technically not correct uh, because the sin nature really isn't genetic um, in, in the way we think of genetics. But we'll just use that term, that it's passed on to us genetically as well as uh, through be- the behavior, the way that we are treated as well as what, how we observe others treating each other. In other words, the way that children learn is, is they don't just mimic the way that a parent treats them in that relationship, but what they also absorb is the way adults treat each other, the way they um, whether it's the husband and wife relationship or other relationships that they see. And so all of that is there. So what happens then is we understand the word of God, it'll help us to understand what's going on with us psychologically. Uh, and that then means, obviously, I believe, that whatever issues are going on can be addressed through the word of God. As a Christian, because the spirit of God lives in me, as I read the word of God and understand the word of God, I will understand myself better And I would then be able to, with the help of God, address and or change those things in my life that I need to change. Obviously, as we've mentioned before, even if your children are grown, you might recognize that there are are some mistakes that you made. Now, we all make mistakes in raising our children, but sometimes there are those who may be guilty of grave error. In other words, you realize that there were some ongoing things that, for whatever the reason, maybe you weren't a believer for many of those years, uh, it could be a lot of different things, but you recognize grave error, and so you may need, uh, for their sake, as well as for your sake and the sake of Christ, go to them and say, I, I have just come to the realization that there were certain things that I did throughout your life as a child, and I need to ask you to forgive me for that. And that's very helpful. That helps your children to know that you do value your relationship with God, as well as you value your relationship with them, what goes on in their life, and then whatever the issue may happen to be, uh, that you are taking seriously, again, uh, what God has said. So that's, that's very important. That'll help us to bring healing, because there's a lot of fractured families. Uh, it became very uh, uh, kind, of a, uh, kind of a popular thing for many years for people to talk about the fact they came from dysfunctional families. Some even use that as a badge of honor for some weird reason. What we have to realize is that all of us come from a dysfunctional family. It's just to what degree? Uh, so there's varying degrees of dysfunction. Um, and so as a result of that, in some cases, that dysfunction leads the individual to, uh, or that dysfunction goes in the direction where uh, there's a fracturing that takes place. Now, it's not always immediately visible, because sometimes, as adults, we know this. We hide our problems. And sometimes we may continue in life hiding the problems and the difficulties. But as a believer, we should not want to do that because we know that if we're hiding these problems and difficulties, that means they're not being dealt with. They're not being dealt with. That hampers our relationship with the Lord. It it inhibits our ability to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. It may even inhibit our ability to experience and enjoy the forgiveness of God. It may inhibit and diminish our ability to enjoy relationships with other people, whether they're in our family or outside of our family, because these things aren't being addressed. We can't find freedom from those things because we're not addressing them as we should. So again, as we move in this direction, this will become helpful to us in being able to analyze, in a sense, ourselves 
uh, and maybe others when it comes to their life. And then obviously, as we've mentioned before, that we also want to understand these things because you may be in a position, whether you've had children or not, to give advice to others who are seeking to uh, either correct a problem or raise their children correctly, or maybe raise your grandchildren or whatever the case may happen to be. And so we want to be able to give them godly advice. We give advice all the time. Sometimes people just do it in passing. Sometimes we do it tongue-in-cheek, even though we're kind of serious. Uh, you know, you see someone struggling with their kids, whether it's in church or Walmart or what have you, and say, well, that kid needs a beating. All right? Well, I mean, that may not be the best way to say it, uh, but there's a lot behind that, maybe a lot of truth behind that. So when it comes to that, we don't want to be just the individual who says your kid needs to be beat. Uh, we want to be able to explain maybe a little more uh, about what's going on. Uh, but then also, if you work with kids, uh, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll come across kids who are having certain issues, difficulties, maybe profoundly so, and you may hear some things from them and you'll better understand because, again, nurture does have a great deal to do with what's going on. It's not necessarily by itself debilitating. That's what the world says. Now, the world may be correct that instances and things that go on when we're being raised may be debilitating from a worldly point of view because they've cut out the power of Christ and God. But for the Christian, what we need to understand is that no matter what kind of labels psychology may want to place on an individual to describe their behavior or what went on or some combination, we need to realize that Christ has the power and the ability to heal, to strengthen, and to help an individual to overcome those things. Now, let's keep in mind that does not necessarily mean that the individual then will overcome things and they will live their life as if those things never happened. Some may. Others may have certain struggles for the rest of their life. But the struggles will become minimized. In other words, they will always, because of the relationship with Christ, you will have the tools, you will have the resources necessary to deal with those things so that you don't have to, your life doesn't have to spiral out of control. Uh, those things in the past no longer have to dictate how you live life, how you respond to life. You'll be able to overcome. And again, in some cases, completely. Uh, in other cases, at least to be able to deal with the issues. Uh, whatever issues that, that might be uh, life-dominating problems for us, one day all those things will be erased. Until then, God has not left us to ourselves and has not left us alone. And so again, understanding these things that we're going through, again, are really very important. Also, um, and I'll probably end up saying this later because I already know this is later in my notes, but I'm going to say it now because it's on my mind, and that is this. When it comes to the raising of children, we need to also keep in mind, by uh, this in mind, by asking this question. What are we doing? When we're raising our children, what are we trying to do? Now, yes, it is true. We're trying to raise individuals who are going to love Christ. That's, that is a kind of a given for those of us who are believers. That's not easy, and there's no guarantee that it happened, that they will come to Christ. But we do want to keep that in the forefront of our mind. However, there's something else that goes along with that, and that is this. We are raising... Because if you think about it, it's obvious. Future adults. How do you want them to function and act when they're adults? We turn to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say that we should be? So you want to help to uh, frame their life and train them into becoming the kind of individuals that the Bible and that God demands that we become. 
In other words, it's not just, hey, we say, well, I want my kids to grow up and be respectable and hardworking. That's terrific. That's just not enough. That's, that's very good. We do want those things. But there's more than just that when it comes to the raising of our children. We, you don't want your child to be hardworking, because you can be hardworking and respectful and deal drugs. Because I've met lots of guys like that. I really have. Very respectful. Very respectful. Very kind. Very shrewd. Very lethal, to say the least. Uh, and they're breaking the law every day of their lives. So, obviously that would be an extreme, and we're not raising our kids to be drug dealers. Uh, but we want to understand that it's not just that. Everything must be in relation back to Christ and what he has said in the word. So then the warning here uh, in verse 4 and it, it's, it's not, I don't think it's only to fathers. It would be to fathers and mothers. But fathers are pointed out. So I believe that this means that fathers have a particularly heavy role in the forming of the attitudes of our children. Now that's not really good news for us as dads. It's a lot of responsibility. All right, It's a great deal of responsibility. But we have... Uh, I guess there's a greater, um, it, it'll be with greater ease and a higher percentage that we'll be able to provoke our children to anger or wrath than the mom. Doesn't mean she can't, but we can. And I think, I think a large part of that goes back to this idea that you've heard, if you've ever listened to um, uh, <clears throat> radio show, kids, uh, say it out loud. Focus on the family. Thank you. Man, that just went out the door. Um, so if you ever listen to Focus on the Family, any of those types of shows, they will emphasize this idea that the father is the one who's supposed to set the spiritual tone for the family. Now, I'm convinced there's many ways to do that. Some people can kind of get into a legalistic kind of thing and say, well, that then means that the father, if he's not doing, it, doing these three things or four things, he's a failure. There's lots of ways to do that. The problem is, is that there's too many fathers who don't do any of it. Uh, but because of that, again, we have a, that there's an impact that we have uh, on our children in this area more so than, than the mom does. And so we do have to take these things to heart. So the main thing that we said when we began this uh, many weeks ago is that parents, and in particular fathers, provoke their children to anger by not practicing biblical love. That's the basis of all of this. We're not practicing biblical love in our relationship with our children and the relationship with our wife and then in the way that we discipline them. If that's not going on, we're going to have a problem. Also remember, keep in mind, that when we talk about provoking children to wrath, it does not mean that the child's going to grow up and they're going to be a powder keg ready to go off at the slightest provocation. That can happen, but there's a lot of ways that anger is manifested in the life of an individual. Many of us are aware of that by now. We've seen enough, you know, 20, 20, and 40 hour where they're investigating some murder or some particular act of violence. We've seen enough of the news because they're always getting to the psychological aspects of things. Not that it's always accurate, but we have an understanding that there's a lot of ways a person can manifest anger. And so we need to realize then, because uh, sometimes, you know, we're always trying to find a way to excuse ourselves. And so we're thinking, well, my kid's not a powder cake, so obviously I'm doing it right. Well, obviously that doesn't mean that. Um, and then there are times that God, in his greatness and graciousness, even though you are a lousy parent, you end up having a kid who walks with the Lord. Now, we all experience God's mercy with our kids anyway. And then on the other hand, there are those who also do everything actually right. 
and their kids have all these issues. So that's why we have to be very careful when we, do, when we want to judge families based on the behavior of the kids. They can, they can reveal a great deal of information about the family, but it's not going to always be a clear picture of everything. So that's why we have to be very careful with that. Uh, because uh, remember, I don't know if uh, Adam and Eve were, were good parents, great parents, or horrible parents. I think they were probably pretty good, but Cain still killed his brother. Now, he was a man when he did that, but he still killed his brother. Um, and uh, I don't think that we can blame Adam and Eve for that, except in the sense that they brought about the sin nature that we all have. So again, we can provoke our children to anger by not practicing biblical love. That means we're not considering our children as being more important than ourselves. That doesn't mean that your child rules the roost. Uh, we're talking about real, true biblical love. But we, we, we need to make sure that they are more important than we are. So I don't make decisions uh, where their welfare may be diminished because of my selfish desires. Now, I don't mean in the clear sense. Like, obviously, we're not talking about you know, keeping them from eating food and those things. But the attention that we are to give them and the instruction that we are to give them, usually those things fall short because of our selfishness, whether it's because of laziness or whatever, the, whatever that happens to be. So we have to be very much aware of that. That's why I'm saying that as we work our way through this, there may be times that it becomes clear to us that we may need to approach our children and ask them to forgive us. That's not to be some big, necessarily dramatic thing, and it may not be a cure-all if there is tension between you and your child or your adult child now, and then if you do that, it will magically be cured. But that's the first step, and it's important. Because remember, and this may, may be uh, um, something that we need to think about, even if you have a strained relationship with your child, their relationship with God is more important than their relationship with you. Now, I do believe, and most of us would probably agree, that if that relationship is addressed and remedied, there will naturally be um, a, um, maybe a, a type of reconciliation, or at least the steps of reconciliation would begin in our relationship with them. But you know, there are times when based on age, et cetera, there may not be a lot of time for that to develop. And we want to make sure that we don't even approach that too selfishly. Their relationship with the Lord is much more important than, than me or you being reconciled to them. That's not a bad goal. We want that. We want to pray for that. That's terrific. But we want to make sure that there is nothing that uh, we don't deal with that is going to be detrimental to their coming to Christ or walking with the Lord. And so you do those things, and then and you're fine. And, we, and then we pray, and we can move forward. And uh, perhaps our relationship with them, with, with them will be maybe in some part reconciled. Uh, it may not be as ever close as we would like it to be. You know, there's a lot of factors to that. But we do need to remember that and keep that in mind. And also keep in mind that there are, again, a large number of, of people that you may know, both believers and non-believers, people in the church, outside of the church, who have family difficulties. Families have difficulties everywhere. You can be and the expert that helps them. You don't have to have a degree in psychology. You don't have to have a degree in counseling. That will help, but it, would, it needs to be biblical counseling. But remember that these issues that are going on still come down foundationally to spiritual issues. If an individual is not related to God as he needs to be, whatever Good steps you may help them to take, it's still not going to be, it's still not going to go quite far enough because that needs to be addressed and remedied. So there's all of us uh, walk 
where there's a, a, what I call a circle of influence. There are people that you work with every day, maybe certain neighbors that you talk with on a maybe regular basis or semi-regular basis, uh, maybe some friends that you grew up with, obviously your children, grandchildren. There's, you know, that, that's maybe a bigger circle than you think. But we need to pray and ask the Lord that as we relate to these individuals and as we kind of live our life, that those relationships will continue to blossom to the point that if these types of things are going on, perhaps you will be the one that they will turn to. You know, people have said that before, that you know, they have, they've had a relationship with somebody for a long time, and then one day out of the blue, they can no longer contain themselves, and out it comes. For whatever the reason, they feel very comfortable with you. That can be quite challenging at times. It can even be kind of scary. But you should never run away, and you should never just say, uh, don't tell me anymore, I know someone you can call. You can get to that point eventually. Remember, you do have some of the answers. Calmly listen to what they have to say. Listen to what's going on. Don't try to necessarily just fix the problem immediately. You want to kind of, uh, kind of massage what's going on. You, because you want to get beyond just the surface issues that they've told you about. You want to be able to reach a little deeper. And sometimes that requires questioning and more listening. Um, maybe even saying that, tell them, they say, well, before I begin to answer or tell you what I think, I, I do need to spend some time praying. I do need to spend some time thinking about it. Uh, just make sure you don't use that as a way to put it off. You want to get back to them. But when someone becomes, when someone opens themselves up and becomes vulnerable to you, you have a great responsibility. And that's not to scare you. Remember, that didn't happen by accident. If you belong to God as a believer... God orchestrated that then, and he expects you to do something about that. doesn't mean that he wants you to do something about it by yourself. You may end up including other people, but you will be a part of, I hate using this word because it sounds so new agey, but anyway, but you may be a part of their journey. Gosh, I hate saying that, <laughs> but anyway, but you know what I mean by that. You may be a part of their journey, and again, the idea is, is not just to get them just to cope with things. The goal is, a, is to point them to Christ and to get them there. And, and then from that point on, we can uh, kind of work into the other things. So again, uh, let me just read you this whole quote. This is from John uh, Broger. He was uh, the man that I first heard a lot of this from, which was way back in the early 80s. And he said this, Parents provoke their children to anger by not practicing biblical love, not considering their children as more important than themselves, and not dying to self to become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think about it, that's what we need to be. We need to practice biblical love. We need to consider others more important than ourselves. And we need to die, ourselves, die to ourselves as we serve God. So we're trying to raise children to be like us, to be like Christ. So again, let me just review these real quick. Um, the first couple that we covered, and then we'll begin to get into some of the others. And, and really, all we're going through is 1 Corinthians 13 is our base for everything that we're going through. So number one, you can provoke your child to anger when you fail to demonstrate biblical love. What is biblical love? Everybody talks about love. There's films about love. There's songs about love. Um, you know, the world is desperate for love. They say love is the answer. Love is the answer, but it's not the sentimental things that they think that it is. It's what is described here in 1 Corinthians 13, which again is just a list of words that all these words combine describe love. 
So love suffers long, is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so that's the basis for what we're going to be speaking about um, here over the next several weeks. So, again, the main illustrations will always be in the context of our raising children, but obviously it's never limited to that. And there'll be times that we expand on it, depending on uh, what we're talking about. So we've already covered impatience. That's the idea where maybe you're just showing impatience by not waiting for your child to finish some task. Like, let's, you know, it needs to be age appropriate. So let's say that they're six years old. You ask them to clean their room. The way they clean their room will be much different when they're six than they are when they're 12. And it will also progress at a different speed. Uh, and believe it or not, sometimes the 12-year-old may take longer because of the attitude. But the point is, is that we don't want to be the parent who, you know, tells them they need to clean their room and then five minutes later sweep down and just read them the riot act because they've been distracted. They're going to be distracted. They're six years old. All right, now, they can be defiant. You have to deal with that. They can feel sorry for themselves and do nothing. You have to deal with that. You may have to help them uh, clean their room. That, that's part of teaching. Don't be the parent who just blows up and then you clean the room for them and then go about your business because the, what the kid will learn is, well, I can put up with ranting and raving if they're going to do it for me. Now, they're not thinking it out that way, but that's what they're picking up. So we want to make sure that we're not impatient with our child. So remember that it's not just impatient in spiritual things. It's not just impatient in big things. It's impatience. And we need to make sure that we're not impatient with our child. That doesn't mean that we don't set time limits for things. We do set time limits for things. Again, those things, you know, it needs to be reasonable depending on what the situation is. Uh, And even if they blow it, you want to make sure that you're dealing with it even in patience. Uh, you, may, you may be angry, but you, you, you have the ability to swallow your anger and deal with it calmly uh, and patiently so that they learn, because the goal is for them to learn. So we don't want to be the individual who uh, doesn't wait for the child to finish the task or hurrying them along uh, to do things that are beyond their capabilities. Secondly, uh, or maybe letter B in your outline, simply just the general word unkindness. We don't want to be the individual who is not providing for our child's physical needs because you're too busy with your own interest. Now, let me just share with you an illustration real quick to help you understand what that means. Because normally we're thinking, okay, I would never I would never neglect my child's needs, uh, you know, like some other people that I know. But but you might. Now, I want to expand this a little bit because it's not just physical needs. Uh, I want to kind of closely combine with it the psychological and physical needs because they both kind of interact with each other a great deal. But. Let's say, that, let's say that you were raised by uh, two parents and one of them was an alcoholic. And so the alcoholic, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you missed meals, but the relationship obviously is not going to be real good. And let's just say it's your dad. He's an alcoholic. You're not going to spend a lot of time with him. So there's going to be a lot of neglect, all kinds of neglect that, that, that's going to affect your development, social skills, all kinds of things. So let's say that that you grow up, you become a believer, and so then you declare as you get married, and you and your wife talk about having children. You say, I'm going to make sure that I'm not like my dad. I'm going to make sure that I'm not an alcoholic. In fact, I'm going to make sure that I give my kid everything I didn't get. You may have just slipped up there. Because we've immediately turned the importance of the relationship, and we've diminished it, and we've now turned it into material things. Because what we might remember the most is 
you didn't have some good Christmases because dad drank the money. You may have had to have moved a few more times than others because he drank away the rent money. And so you've decided that you're going to provide the environment and the things for your kids that you didn't have. Not necessarily bad, but if that becomes the focus, you then end up being just like your dad, except you're not drinking. You work all the time to make sure that there's enough money, and you buy them things, and you end up basically trying to use a form of materialism to make them happy, and all the while, what your dad did to you was he was gone, and what you're doing to your kid is you are gone. So it's the same thing. Just It's, a different, it's done a different way. So that's why we want to make sure that um, we, we're, we're listening to what the Word of God has to say. We do want to provide for them physically, but that doesn't mean wealth or an abundance of anything. Uh, their needs are met, uh, but most importantly, Dad is there uh, in that relationship. So we need to remember, again, as I mentioned before, we're not just training children so they'll be obedient children, though we would like that. We are training them to grow and to mature into responsible adults. And that's what we're trying to do. So letter C, then, is jealousy. Jealousy is simply this. Um, You want to make sure that you're not trying to prove to your child that you can do something better than he can. Now, I know when you just make that statement, people are like, well, of course. Well, there's no of course to any of this. If you ever just spend time watching people and watching how they interact, you will see amazing cruelty being done by parents to their children in all kinds of situations where maybe uh, uh, it could be the dad or the mom, but, but they're, trying, they're, they're teaching their kid how to do something. But the parent, it's almost like they become jealous if the kid does it really well or better than they do. And so they want their kid to know that they can always do it better. Highly competitive dads can have a problem. Teach your kid how, let's say teach your kid how to play chess. Let's say you've never really studied the game chess, so you just know how the pieces move, but you teach them how the pieces move, and when they're six, you beat them all the time. When they're nine, you have to think a little more, but you don't really pay attention to the game. Let's say they learn it a little better, and then one day you're playing, and uh, now you're thinking with everything you can, and you're having a hard time. Some people get upset. They get angry, and they... They treat their kid pretty poorly. They're poor losers. They should be celebrating what their kid is accomplishing, but the ego gets in the way. Now, that's just one illustration. There's all kinds of, con- you know, the context can change. The situation can change to where that type of thing can take place. We have to be careful. Moms sometimes can become angry or upset because their daughter is more beautiful than they are or they imagine they are, or maybe the daughter at the same age whatever age they were at, when they look at the daughter, is maybe more popular, or whatever the thing they happen to be. People go through some weird stuff. But a lot of times, it's, it's just stuff that goes on at home. It's always it's hidden from the church, so you're not always going to see it. And it's these things that are going on at home. And things, you know, this tension that's rising in the family as a result. And so, once again, we're not loving them as we ought to love them. We're not uh, exercising biblical love. We're not depending upon Christ uh, for this relationship they have with our children. And, and we make mistakes. We're always going to make mistakes, but we sometimes make grave errors. You know, there's, there's that one, I don't want to call it a school of thought, but, but there is this one area where, or one side where some people become, you know, too much of a buddy. You know, they want to be their child's best friend. You can be friends with your kid. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but want to be their best friend, like being their chum, you're violating your role. And, that's, and even though you may have that, it's not healthy for your kid. It's not healthy for them. It's not healthy when they get adults either. You can be really, really close, but you're always the parent. And it's supposed to be that way. And there are kids who actually tell you, or even adults who tell you, that, that they are best friends with their parents. And in the same breath saying, I hate it. Because what they need is a parent. They need a parent. And, and you are the one that God has given to them to be their parent, and we're failing in that. So we need to make sure we don't get caught up in how much our kids like us, um, uh, or how much our kids want us. And some people do that because they want, it's almost like an ego thing. They want other people to see how close they are to their kids. It's just, man, this ego stuff just really gets in the way and messes with people. And do you think for a moment your kids don't see that? The kids see that. The kids can figure things out. They know what's going on. They may not be able to articulate it when they're 12, but they're able to figure it out. And, and too often what happens is, um, if they don't know the Lord, uh, they may not figure it out well enough because they, what they end up doing is they end up mimicking that. And so once again, there, there's going to be this, this uh, uh, diminishing of their relationship with the Lord if they have one at all. And so they're going to have internal difficulties. I want to go back real quick. Let me just remind you, I've given this to you before. This is from, from my reading of Francis Schaeffer. He talks about the effects of the fall. And it, affects, it affected man in, in four ways. And that is, number one, it clearly and obviously, and we see this immediately, that when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, they were instantly alienated from God. There was that, that relationship was ruptured. The second thing that happened is the relationship between the two of them was ruptured. Now, it wasn't utterly destroyed, and they never spoke to each other again, but now there's problems, problems between human beings. And we, and we obviously, you know, I've already mentioned the most obvious illustration of that is early on, Cain kills his brother, Abel. That, and so there, this relationship, uh, in, in familiar relationships, uh, is ruptured um, because of sin. And so the relationship between man and man is ruptured because of sin. Then there's also uh, man is alienated from nature. And we see this progressing through the scripture, where uh, in the beginning, it was kind of like how the Bible describes the millennial kingdom. In the beginning, animals and man, there, there was no fear between either one of them. The animals weren't meat eaters, uh, and man wasn't a meat eater, and they lived in harmony, and there was no danger. And then we see this begin to change. And then it gets to the point to where after the flood, God makes a statement uh, that he'll put the fear of man in the animals. And so there's this alienation between the animal kingdom and the man kingdom. And then we see it also in the weather and many different parts of nature where there's this, it causes strife and, and sorrow and grief and, and even death in the lives of, of people because we're alienated from nature in many different ways. But then the one that we oftentimes miss, and, that, and it's, it is an important one, and that's the fourth one, and that is man is alienated from himself. Man himself becomes a fractured being. That's where all of our psychological difficulties come from, is that. That's why, again, thank goodness, Christ remedies that. As I've said before, that doesn't mean that all of our psychological difficulties will immediately go away, as if we never had them, but they will become better. We will be able to function the way that God wants us to function because of Christ, because of what he's done. There is a very real healing that takes place. And also, uh, there's a very real, there's very real help from him. He doesn't leave us alone in that. And of course, that's a very broad topic, and we're not going to cover that, but we need to get back to this. So then, if the child then 
uh, recognizes that mom or dad is jealous of them, that can lead to not only potentially problems that they'll have with people uh, in their lives, but it may lead to a greater fracturing in their own life. They may experience greater bouts, whether it's with depression or a greater sense of fear, a greater sense of betrayal. A lot of those things, as we know, affect us as individuals, and it comes from the way that we raise, raise our kids. Now, again, we're not trying to blame all of their issues on us as parents. We are, we are again, as I said, we're going to fail them in many different ways. As Christians, we have Christ to depend upon, and so it doesn't have to be absolutely debilitating, but... What we see repeated over and over again in the world among non-believers uh, is very, very grave. There's some just unbelievable things that go on uh, in the lives of these families. And so what we see then in the time we live in is we see a greater number of individuals uh, that are really having difficulties. And we see how they act these things out. You know, the rise in violence in our society. There's many reasons for that. But one of those major contributing factors is what goes on in the home when the kids are being raised. And we just, we just, that's just that's life. That's, we have to, that's the truth. There's no way to get around that. Um, I think I've shared this with you before, and it's something that we need to keep in mind, and that is the home life for, for a very large number of kids is so fractured, it's so, so bad, that you need to remember that when it comes to the, the growing gang problem. Now, we don't always think too much of a gang problem here in Savannah, that we have gangs. And it's not as prominent as it is in big cities. But the number one reason why kids join gangs is because, if we kind of boil it down to terms that we can really grasp right away, right away is they're looking for a family to belong to. That's what they're looking for. No family at home, they'll find one there. It's, it's a substitute for a family. It, it's, they have their own dysfunction in, in gangs. Uh, but we need to realize that gangs is not a small problem. Remember, the largest gang in the United States is still, is still in Chicago. <coughs> and they have over 60,000 members. That's a large gang. We think of gangs as being, you know, 20, 30 people. Maybe 100. 60,000. This is unbelievable. That's just one gang. And then, of course, there's those gangs that are coming up from uh, South America that we hear so much about. You know, MS-13 and those things. You know, those, those, those young people, they are the way they are for a reason. Yes, it's because they have um, a sin nature. But it's more than that. Absolutely more than that. And that, again, goes back to man being alienated from God. James chapter 3. Let me read to you James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, central, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So here he tells us that if there's envy and self-seeking in your hearts, that wisdom, and we don't think of that as wisdom, but he's, you know, that's the application of the things that we know. So if you think of this in the context of parents and what we are or are not doing with our kids, 
He wants us to know that if there is self-seeking in our hearts, that this is that which is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And then he tells us that where this self-seeking exists, there's going to be confusion and every evil thing. So that's the effect on our children. There'll be confusion. Maybe confusion about God and if God loves them or not. There may be confusion about you and if you love them or not. There may be confusion about the family, what the family is to be. Uh, Remember that there are many individuals who are manipulated and abused sexually by predators, those predators knowing a great deal about psychology. In other words, they can recognize kids who come from homes where maybe mom and dad don't pay much attention. Maybe mom and dad are, are envious or jealous of the kids or what have you. The relationship's not going well. And so they can figure out about 30 seconds what that kid needs. And they're willing to supply it to get the kid to like them. Pay attention to them, listen to them, pay them compliments, um, spend time with them, uh, refusing to argue uh, with them, uh, seeking peace, being gentle, being full of mercy. All these things he's talking about, the predator is doing. And there's all kinds of predators. You know, they're all not just, you know, um, there's not just one certain kind. They're, they're trying to take advantage of people for a lot of different reasons, but they do want something from them. So here the Bible is telling us that's exactly what's going to happen. So when we raise our kids, so sometimes, you know, the, you know, I tell individuals that are young when they have children, and I tell guys that sometimes when they, get, when they go to get married, I say, you have to understand something. I said, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing after you're married that you want to still spend some time with your friends, but you have to understand that on, on, on the other hand, the night out with the boys is kind of over. Okay, that's over. You, you have a responsibility to your wife and then your family, and when it comes to the night out with the boys, first of all, we need to know who those boys are. <laughs> you know, what's going on. Uh, and then you and the wife need to be in agreement about this. You need to talk about There's a lot of things that go into that. Because if you demand, well, I've got to have my night out with the boys, that's selfishness. And it tells us where self-seeking exists, there's going to be what? Confusion. So you can say that you love your kid all you want. You're sending mixed signals. If, if there's self-seeking in your heart. So you see here, there's a great deal of responsibility on us. We need to make sure, that's why we need to make sure that we are continuing to grow as believers, that we're continuing to mature, so that not only that we will grow out of this, but then let's say that someone may recognize or see something in us that can be, that, that's either dangerous or maybe not what it should be. They will correct us. We need to have the right spirit that we will hear the correction. So if someone comes up to you, let's say an older man goes to a young man and says, says, you know, I don't know what's going on with you and your family, and da-da-da-da-da, and I've been praying for you. I want you to know I, I see something, and I don't know if there's an issue. I just want to make you aware that it does seem like you're not maybe paying enough attention. Now, we can get upset by that right away when that happens. And sometimes somebody will get upset, and after they think about it, they realize, well, maybe there's some truth to that. But hopefully, as we continue to grow as believers, then the one individual will become a little more bold and willing to, to take the risk and say that, but the one who's hearing it is growing to the point to where they can hear that and be grateful and take that advice and begin to you know, kind of weave that into their existence as an individual so that that, that issue can be corrected. Or maybe someone will say, ah, you seem to be a little overly harsh to your son. It's okay to be firm, but you seem to be a little overly harsh. And we sometimes may make a mistake. We might, you know, the individual, he's, he's overstepping his bounds. Ah, sometimes that's just a defense mechanism. 
If that person says, well, you're overstepping your bounds, just say, well, look, that's a possibility. But I want you to know that I love you and I love your family and I love Christ. And I have learned, whether it's by experience with the scripture or both, that this can be a problem. It may not be a problem yet, but I've, I've just noticed a few things. And if I'm wrong, then praise the Lord, I'm wrong. But I, I just wanted to say something so that if it is that, it doesn't become a problem and a regret for you later down the road. If they want to remain angry, so be it. It's okay. And that's going to happen. And, I, and, the, and the risk we take is that people, they get their feelings hurt so easy nowadays, they want to take their stuff and go home. And well, I'm never going to go back there because they're being judgmental. I, I think sometimes it's still worth the risk to say things in a kind and gentle way to individuals because of what's at stake. I have met way too many young men in the jail. Remember that Chatham County is not a big county. 240, maybe 250,000 residents total. And we have a jail that has a daily population of uh, 12, 14, 15,000 people. It's, it's unbelievable. Just so you know, in case you were unaware of this, you know, the Sheriff's Department has a lot of warrants where they, where they, where they have the, and a warrant for the arrest of an individual. And there are literally thousands they don't go and get. The reason why they don't, get, they don't go and arrest them is because, number one, the jail's too crowded, overly crowded. Number two, there's so there'd be nowhere to put them. Number three, they're not a flight risk. And whatever they're charged with is not necessarily something that endangers the community. If they were to serve all of the warrants tomorrow morning, they would be making over 3,500 arrests tomorrow. So even the daily population of the jail does not give you an accurate number of individuals that are having difficulties and problems. And yes, they break the law and there's all these different kinds of charges they're with. But all those things are related to the way they were raised and then how are they raising kids if they're raising them at all. And so this problem perpetuates itself. And so we need to be the ones that have this wisdom and understand so that we can explain, share, help, teach others so that, this does, so that they don't perpetuate the problem. This is why these individuals need Christ because Christ is the only one who can break that cycle. And he can break that cycle. Absolutely he can break that cycle. And we need to believe that, and that's why we need to continue to give the gospel of Christ to those who are in desperate need of the gospel. So we'll have to stop there. We did not get far at all, um, but that's okay. Uh, we'll pick it up uh, next week, and uh, I won't take such a long time to do the introduction. Um, I hope, but just want to keep that in mind as that kind of sets the stage for everything that we're going to be saying and its application. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we are so grateful, Father, for your word. And Father, for the depth of your word. And, Father, for the breadth of your word, Lord, it covers so much. It is so valuable to us in so many ways. We are so grateful, Father, for it. We ask you to help us to absorb it, even though on one, one hand there is so much that is here. We pray that we'll continue to learn, continue to think, and most importantly, continue to apply your word to the way we live and to the way that we talk, from the advice that we give to the advice that we receive, uh, to the way that we raise our children, our grandchildren, uh, the way that we relate to our parents, the way that we relate to our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers. We pray, Lord, that our life would, in that sense, be saturated with the truth of the word and that we would seek to live it out. We thank you, Lord, that perfection is not required to raise our children correctly because if that was true, Lord, then we would never have children. 
And we know, Lord, that our children are a wonderful and a great blessing to our life. In fact, sometimes the children of other people are a great blessing to our lives as well. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to, again, think seriously about your word and to contemplate the depths of its truth. And again, Lord, that we'd be hungry for it and that we'd live it out. So, Father, as always, we thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.